If you will turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of 1 John, that is where we are um, in our series. We are at the end of chapter 2 and, into cha- and, and starting into chapter 3. be reading from chapter 2, verse 28, uh, through chapter 3, verse 10, so if you'll um, direct your attention to God's holy Word. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has, has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes the practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Grass withers, flower fades. The word of our God abides forever, and as we read that and we come before it, let us pray again that God will open our eyes and our hearts uh, to receive his word. Father, we do pray that simply, that you would unite our hearts to fear your name, that you would give me strength and and wisdom and clarity by your Spirit um, to preach in a way that brings you glory and that works in the hearts of all those who hear, including myself. Lord, we need you to guide us into all truth by your Spirit, and we pray that again for your glory and for our good and joy and growth in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, back in the 90s, the early 90s, really the decade, but the earliest when I remember it, daytime talk shows were fairly popular. I probably couldn't name a host today of a daytime talk show, but back then, I I knew some of them. Even the former mayor of Cincinnati, right? He had a daytime talk show, the Jerry Springer Show. And there were a lot of others, and and many of them, uh, well, really all of them seemed bent towards the sensational and the scandalous. And Springer was masterful at that. He, he, he did that very well. And so was a guy named Maury Povich. And I remember a few episodes that I caught while in college, probably faking that I was studying at the time. And they all focused basically on the same thing. A young woman wanted to know who the father of her baby was. It was actually pretty sad when you think about it. There were two or three guys, maybe more, who would undergo paternity tests 
Of course, there was arguing, there was yelling, accusations, quite often there was physical violence, and then the show would eventually come to a head with Maury turning to the guys and calling out one of their names and saying, so-and-so, you are the father. At that, there was either elation or absolute depression and devastation. And the whole point of the show, besides ratings and scandalous, the point of that exact show was to determine who the father was. And you know, in some ways, the point of this section in John is the exact same thing. It's a bit of a divine paternity test, if you will. It's not as simple as a swab of DNA, but it is very vital for us to understand. However, with that, I will say that this is not the most easily understood section of John. There are some um, very difficult passages here that, to, the, to the point where some commentators have gone so far as to say that they can't understand how John could completely contradict himself from chapter 1 to here. Now, I can't and I don't agree with that assessment, but I will agree that it's not simple. However, I do believe that the overall thrust of this passage is abundantly clear. Verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2 can be seen as kind of setting the stage, laying the groundwork. They're, uh, they're a bit transitional, and they serve to lead us into what John writes in chapter 3. They bring us out of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So in this, you see ideas that John will return to. You'll see things that continue forward, the the appearing of Christ, which he will mention three more times in our passage, and as well as the concept of righteousness and what we practice, our way of life. There's a sense in which he's saying that believers are to be aptly described with the phrase, like father, like son. Because God is righteous, those born of God are to be righteous as well. We're to be righteous as well, and this is where we're going this morning. And the basic or the the, the big idea of this text is this, believers are born of God to be like Him. Believers are born of God to be like Him. And so so, uh, leading to that is Christ appeared to take away sins. He appeared to, to destroy the works of the devil. And when he appears again, we ought to be able to look forward to that without shame because we live a life characterized by hope in him. And we're purified because of that hope. And anything contrary to that reveals a different father. My hope this morning is to try and make this passage as clear as possible, and with that, to encourage us in our Christian lives to live in a way that reflects the righteousness of our Father. We're going to look at it in two sections. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, is the, the wonder of being, the wonder of being, and then the rest of the passage is the way of being, the way of being. So look at verse 1 again. See what kind of love the Father has bestowed, has I always say bestowed because that's how I memorized it, sorry. So see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when 
he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, some commentators that I read actually see these verses as an interruption. I don't see that. I actually see them as John pastorally reminding and, and bringing up to his readers to reflect on what is true. What is amazingly and wonderful true. To begin with, he, he starts with this, this word see. It's an imperative. He is calling. He's actually commanding the readers to stop and to consider, to look at, to ponder, to, to gaze upon what kind of love the Father has given to us kind of love the Father has given to us. Wouldn't, wouldn't that do us all good to consider the love of God? We sang about it, but, you know, we sing, and six minutes later, we're done. But let's, let's stop and let's ponder what God has given to us, the, the, the love that He has. The, the phrase that John uses implies we're to do this in, in, in a posture of astonishment and amazement and admiration. We're to gaze upon the greatness of of God's love, of the character and kind of love that He, that he has bestowed. If, if you read through the Psalms, often the psalmists are, are praising God for His greatness. Psalm 145, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. If something's unsearchable, there's plenty to ponder in His greatness. There's plenty to wonder at in amazement. And so John is simply calling us to praise God and marvel at Him for that greatness, in the, but, but here in the particular of the love He has shown for His children, which is worked out in the further phrase that we should be called children of God. Here's the content. Here's the, the, the result of the, God's love that John calls us to wonder at. We are children of God, those who believe, those who have repented, who have been called out of darkness and, and into His marvelous light. We were by nature children of wrath, with deceitful and wicked hearts, deserving condemnation. And yet now, because of God's love, being born of Him, we are now children of God. No longer children of wrath, but now children of God. And that language of being born of God, John uses it quite a bit, and, and you'll even see the phrase, it's not from God or not of God, that, that this idea that, that it is God's work. And, but this born of God language, really the best commentary on this is from John's gospel. John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. And then later on in John chapter 3, the, the whole interaction with Nicodemus. And it says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It is a supernatural birth. This is the work of God in the life of a child of wrath 
of one deserving of condemnation. It is his work. He has done it. And John writes a very simple phrase after this, you know, that see what kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. I love how matter of fact that is. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just says, and so we are. It's not only matter of fact, it's also extremely comforting. The believer is a child of God. And that also means, though, being a child of God, that we are no longer of this world. And it's why this world does not and should not truly know us. One commentator wrote, John is saying that the world cannot appreciate or understand Christians because what makes them tick is something the world cannot understand. Just as the world did not recognize and appreciate Jesus, since he was so unlike the people's expectations for the Messiah, the world will misunderstand and reject those born of God as well. The world is another sphere of existence, a a parallel universe, so to speak, that John has labeled darkness. The world is darkness. And, And for the children of God, though we are his children now, we are not yet what we will be. We, we aren't. We are a work in progress. Sanctification, this, this process of becoming more and more like Christ, conformed to His image, does not happen immediately. We daily, by God's grace, seek to die to sin and to live under righteousness. But one of the beautiful things that we know from Scripture is that God will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Philippians 3, and that in Colossians 3, 4, it says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We too will be glorified, we'll be with him. God will transform us and he'll do it in a, in, in, in a manner that's really beyond what we can imagine. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We are children of God now, but what we will be has not yet appeared, and what we will be is beyond our imagination. It is greater than anything we can can know or experience here, not just what we will be, but where we will be and with whom we will be. And it's this vision, this sight of Jesus in his utter perfection that will transform us. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how that happens, but that it will. You know, if you continue to, to follow, you know, you watch someone and you just keep watching, you end up starting to be more and more like them. You know, if somebody wants to be a good basketball player, you don't watch, you know, peewee basketball. You watch somebody who's really good at it, and you learn, and you, you practice that, and you, and you continue on, so you continue to do this. And, and we only have a feeble glimpse now, a, a feeble imagination, but God will transform us completely and is working now to transform us, and our hope is placed in this, and it's a hope that purifies. It's a sure hope. This is a sure hope. It's, it's only called a hope because it's in the future, but it is sure. 
It is a guaranteed hope. There's no uncertainty. As Calvin wrote, he said, though we have not Christ now present before our eyes, yet if we hope in Him, it cannot be but that this hope will excite and stimulate us to follow purity, for it leads us straight to Christ, whom we know to be a perfect pattern of purity. It leads us to Him, and we want to be like Him. It draws us in. Folks, this is the foundation. This is, this is the, the wonder of the being that we are now because of God's love. Because of that love that He's given to us. And I think it's helpful, though, before we move into this next few verses of John, to turn to Paul to help us a little bit with this transition, to, to, to set the, the, the table and some of the theme. And 1 Corinthians 6 this is 9 to 11, John, or Paul writes this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, Paul writes there of the reality that before we were believers, we were unrighteous, and we were walking in unrighteousness. We were practicing unrighteousness, but that's past tense. Such were some of you, but you were washed you were washed. And I think that that gives us some context for understanding where we're going to go and where John goes here in the rest of this section. So I'm going to read through 4 through 10 again, just in bulk, just to get the the great picture, the the larger picture, and then we'll look at it more individually. So verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes the practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now remember that John is addressing false teachers, in much of this letter. He's, he's writing also so that we would know that we would be assured of eternal life, of our life with Christ, that we would have assurance in that. And I, I believe he's continuing to write about those who are trying to deceive. He says that, let no one deceive you. These, these, these folks that have left, these secessionists, they have been teaching falsehood, wrong ideas about what it means to follow God. And Here John returns to what he started to get to as well in 2.29, the idea of our lifestyle, 
our, our way of being, that, we, that what we practice in our lives. And he states very, very clearly that those who sin, those who make a practice of sinning, they practice or they, they do lawlessness. Now, that last term is interesting because John actually doesn't refer to the law of God explicitly in this letter. He does talk about obeying the commandments. Yes, he does do that. But he doesn't talk specifically about the law of God. And so what I believe he's speaking about is a little bit more um, uh, broader scope than just the, the very specific law of God. He's actually speaking of um, resenting and fighting against any moral or law code over one's life. Anything to which we are accountable. This is, this is the human struggle for autonomy. That I am my own. That I am my own boss. I am my own everything. There's a disdain and a rejection of the very idea of something to which somebody must submit. This is what you see recorded in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is what we see all over the world today. People doing what they see fit in their own eyes. And folks, let me tell you, this is not a good place to be. Listen to Jesus from Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What John is writing here is extremely serious. Lawlessness is a serious thing. And John is warning us and and talking to us. We we must take heed. We must note as well, you know, he continues to go on. He says that, that Christ appeared. Here's back to that appearance language. Christ appeared in order to take away sins. And then in verse 8, the reason the Son of God has appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so, folks, when any of us choose sin, when anyone chooses sin, they are at odds with the purpose of the coming of Christ. Practicing sin, pursuing sin, it is playing for the wrong team. If, you call, if you're doing the works of the devil, you are doing that which Christ came to destroy. You're trying to build back up what he is destroying. Further, our text tells us in verse 5, and in him there is no sin. There is no sin in Christ. And the implication here is that for the believer, there is to be no yielding to sin. We don't have to obey sin. We've been given a new spirit, a new life. We don't have to obey And those who are in Christ are to be thoroughly opposed to sin. We are to, Scripture tells us to to strive to pursue righteousness. 
1 Timothy 6 and 2 Timothy 2 is very explicit. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, all of those things. Pursue them. Strive after them. Now, I think all of this is well and good, and I think it's all fairly easy to grasp what I've said so far. We are to do this. It just makes sense that if we are children of God, we are to reflect God's nature and character. That's, that shouldn't be hard to, to grasp. We're to live lives of holiness and righteousness. But John does write some pretty difficult words here. Ones that, 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 that it is difficult to grasp the, 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 the full breadth of meaning, partly because we, do, we don't have the, the letters before and the communication before us to know what has prompted this. But look at verses 6 and 9. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one born of God, verse 9, makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Those are hard verses to hear. Now, throughout John's letter, he has described a believer as one who is to be and is in continuous fellowship with God, is abiding in Christ and obeying. You can see um, there's, there's a ton of verses, 1, 3, and 7, 2, 3, 5, 29, 3, 3. It just goes on and on. There's this idea of connection, of abiding in Christ, of, of knowing Him. This, this is what we are called to. This is what a child of God is to, to live like. But John also writes in the same letter about being honest with the fact that we do sin. And that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and, and we make God a liar. But when we do confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And not only that, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we're called to live a life of constant abiding in Him, of walking with Him, of being in fellowship with Him, yet we also sin. And we have a wonderful advocate. So when we look at verses 6 and 9, these are some strong statements. Again, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. This is why there are some who say He completely contradicts Himself. But let's remember the context of the false teachers. Remember, they claimed to have fellowship with God, and yet they didn't walk in a way that was reflective of that. They didn't walk in the light as He is in the light. Yet they're claiming fellowship with God. And so here, I think it's very possible that John is getting more into that, into what the false teachers were doing, that these false teachers, they're claiming to have fellowship with God. They're claiming to know God, and yet they're not living in a way that's consummate with that. They, they are not practicing righteousness. They're actually making a practice of sinning. Now, John doesn't use the, the typical formula he had used at those places as, um, you know, if one would say or if anyone does this. He doesn't use that typical formula. So perhaps this isn't what he's saying. Maybe he's not addressing the, the false teachers, though I think he is. But I think he's not just addressing the false teachers. He's pastorally encouraging and pushing his people. He's reminding his readers of the call to holiness. 
And that, yes, there's grace, but there's also pursuit of Him, a grace-filled pursuit. You see, I don't want to overcomplicate this. I think the basic thrust of this is actually quite understandable, especially when you follow principles where where when you come to a, a more difficult text in Scripture, you look at it in light of the more easily understood text of Scripture. You don't base everything off the difficult. You, you use the more easily understood and work through it that way. You use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And so John is saying that you cannot live in sin and be abiding in Christ. If you're abiding in Christ, you will not continue to live a, a practicing life of sin. Will you sin? Yes. John has already made that clear, but you will also confess. You will not make excuses or seek to justify your sin. You won't seek to rewrite God's commandments, His moral standards. The believer agrees that sin is sin. The believer will more and more become who they are, a child of God, more and more reflective of the image of Christ. It's not living uh, lawless where you, you want nothing to do with God, but you understand, I've actually broken His ways, and I've gone against Him, and I believe that His ways are good. There's a massive difference with those who refuse to define sin as God does and those who do not. Now, every one of you who's thinking about someone else right now who redefines sin, stop it. And think about all the ways you do. How many times you justify what you do and you redefine sin and try and say that doesn't apply to me? Because it is really easy to look out there and say, wow, they do that all the time. It's a lot harder to go, I do this too. And I have the knowledge. And I have the Spirit of God in me. And yet I still fight and try and redefine sin. So don't let this be about the other. Let this be a call to you and your holiness and your walking with God. Because John teaches that the one who lives righteously, not sinlessly, is a child of God, and the one who practices lawlessness has not been born of God. And he tells us the reason that believers cannot make a practice of sinning is because God's seed abides in him. I think this is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the one who indwells believers. The Spirit works in our lives. That's his, that's his job in so many ways, is to work in our lives to conform us to Christ where we begin more and more to see God's standards as what they are, that they're good for us, that they're good for humanity. All else is lawlessness. It is rebellion against our Creator. He's not given us commandments to stifle our joy, but to lead us into joy, to lead us into a life that's abundant and full, joy in Him where the ultimate joy actually rests. 
And he makes another very simple truth in this. He says, you don't practice righteousness without being born of God. Now, that doesn't mean you won't see people doing, quote, good things. But you don't practice righteousness without being born of God. And that those who make a practice of sinning, they're of the devil. Good verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The love of the brother, he, he brings that out as this is evidence of practicing righteousness. Do you love your brethren? John is saying, don't be deceived in this. Don't follow after those secessionists who say, you, you, can, you can come with us and just kind of do whatever you want, perhaps. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. John is telling us this is evident. It's obvious who are the children of God and who are the children of de the devil. John is giving us a way to answer the question, who's your daddy? Really? Whose paternity does your life reflect? That's a question we all can be asking. Whose paternity does your life reflect? The life of the believer is to be one of abiding in Christ. And doing so will keep us from, from practicing a life of sin. Christ appeared to take away sins, to destroy the works of the devil, and he will appear again. And when he does, John nor I want any of us to shrink in shame at his coming, but rather to be those who are assured. That's why he writes, to be assured of a relationship with him, who, who welcome him, who are the ones actually crying out, come, Lord Jesus, come, because they're confident. They, they, they are confident because of their life reflects it, and they know the love of Christ. They know that they've displayed love of brethren. They know those things. They believe fully they're not going to hear, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. So folks, this is calling us to be serious about our relationship with the Lord. Yeah, I want to emphasize grace as much as possible. But grace does not negate effort and our striving after holiness. Actually, the effort and the striving after holiness is evidence of the grace of God at work in your life that you've known His grace, that you've known His love, that you've known what He's done, in, that you can say, see what kind of love the Father has bestowed on me, that I'm called a child of God. So let's pursue Him. Let us take this seriously. Live trustingly. Live pursuing, but yet all the while, and we're going to sing it in just a minute, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It's Christ's work in us. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
but I labored harder than all the rest. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. So let's pursue him with the power of his grace at work in our lives and show the world whose father we, ha we have, whose child we are. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love that changes us. Lord, be at work in our lives. Convict us where we need the conviction. Encourage us where we need the encouragement. Lift us where we need lifted. And push us where we need pushed. To live a life reflective of your love and your grace, your glory and your greatness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.